Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. This week is Palm Sunday, and we are looking at the text of Jesus' triumphal march into Jerusalem as we begin this time of Holy Week. A reminder that our services are available in their entirety on our YouTube channel, which is linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available. You can subscribe using your favorite podcasting app. And lastly, please find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? He said to, they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees and the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. That through your words for us this day, we would continue this journey and we would enter into this holy week following Jesus as he journeys through Jerusalem and to the cross. Amen. You know, I've always found it interesting Not just the time in which this story is told, but just the fact that this story happens. You know, for Jesus to enter Jerusalem in this way, it it almost seems unreal. Because the story we get here in scripture today is this story of Jesus, and it even labels it. We heard it this morning, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right? And yet, as I was telling the kids a minute ago, later this week, we are going to hear this story of the not-so-friendly side of Jerusalem. I mean, it almost makes me wonder why it needed to happen, right? Why did Jesus need to enter in Jerusalem in such a, a grandstanding fashion for everyone to see? Couldn't he have entered under the cloak of darkness and, and hid from the Pharisees and the, the Roman government so that he didn't get found? I mean, I mean, he knew they were looking for him. And I mean, I know that's, that's part of the whole story. That's part of the journey. That's, that's part of the prophecy. But again, it's like, why? Why does Jesus enter in this way? 
And I think when we name this nature of this story, the way in which this story happens, it teaches us a lot about this Lenten journey that we are on. It teaches us a lot about what it means for us to fast, and it teaches us even more about ourselves, right? Because this is not just any scripture. This is one of the few scriptures that happens in all four Gospels, not just the synoptic Gospels, not just Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but this is a story that happens in all four Gospels. That only happens a handful of times, and and we take note on that. Because each, when we look at the point of each gospel, whether it's talking about what Jesus did, how Jesus felt, what Jesus says, what Jesus experienced, or who Jesus was, it names that this story plays a pivotal role, not just in what we understand about Jesus, but in how we live our, how we live our lives in Jesus' name. And so I look at sort of this divine irony that we see in this passage today and on this journey that we are about to go on. There's no question that Jesus is going to die. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. In fact, I was remarking at the Easter Egg Factory that it seems like it happens every year nowadays. That we come into this holy week and we get to this point at the end of Lent, we're tired, we're worn out. We've been doing the Easter Egg Factory for four weeks and now we have to come into a week where we experience deep pain and grief in the death of our Savior. As we come here and reckon with these facts, we stand here today watching the praising in the streets, the waving of palm branches, the shouting of Hosanna. But when push comes to shove, when we continue to work our way through this week, when we journey further into Jerusalem, we no longer hear the shouts of Hosanna. We no longer see the praising in the streets. Rather, we get a Savior who's put on trial and hung on a cross, executed. And it teaches us and gives us insight when we look at this story in this way. To know that Jesus' motivations were never to walk into Jerusalem to be popular. But rather, Jesus knew that he was walking into Jerusalem to accomplish what God had called him to do. And in the face of all of this, we begin to learn from this story the way in which we are called to give up our own popularity. Now, if there's anybody who probably shouldn't be preaching a sermon on popularity, it's, it's me. I have this need and desire to feel loved, to feel admired, to, to be popular. I think the SPRC would know that as we sit down and do our evaluations. I like to hear things that I'm good at. Sometimes it's hard to hear the things that I'm bad at. And yet, we stand here and look at Jesus who comes into Jerusalem. And we see a man who doesn't define himself by all the external things that are going on. Riding on a donkey, coming into Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna. And yet for me, the the pivotal passage in this entire narrative are those, those last two verses, right? Jesus has called the disciples to go and get the colt, an unbroken colt. And and like we're not going to touch on that today, but really, friends, the true miracle of the story is an unbroken colt riding into Jerusalem with people shouting on all sides of it. But we're just going to leave that one alone today. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the colt. Everybody lays down their cloaks. Jesus gets to the end of this processional, and then all of a sudden the Pharisees are standing there. 
And they look at Jesus and they tell him, tell them to stop. Right? We can already see the friction beginning to occur between Jesus and the religious elite who will ultimately hand him over to the Romans. And what does Jesus say? I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout. Right? Jesus, Jesus knows his work. Jesus knows who he has been called to. And so he knows that, that even if the people here in this processional were not actually there, or even, God forbid, they called out against Jesus, that even creation, the very nature of God, would call out in celebration for who Jesus is. And so Jesus knows who he gains his identity by. And for Jesus, it's all about who God has called him to be, the work that God has called him to do. So then the question bounces onto us. Why do we define ourselves by our own sense of popularity? By who's singing our praises? By who's lifting us up? Why do we feel this need in our lives to be in the in crowd? If it wasn't that way for Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus had his in crowd, but it was very much not an in crowd of society in those times. Jesus had his friends and those who surrounded him with support and love, but for Jesus, it was about one thing, the grace and love of God. The grace and love that will never end, that will never leave us, that will never forsake us, right? None of this is foreign to many of us. And yet we ask ourselves, in whom do we place our trust? In whom do we feel our own sense of popularity from? Do I become so focused on the needs and desires of others that I forget who called me to be who I am? Do I get so focused on trying to be a part of one certain crowd of people that I forget who God has called me to be, who I am created to be? For us to give up popularity means that we don't try and define ourselves by who we know, but by who we are created by. By the very love, breath, image of God in creation, shining forth from us. And it's that spirit that drives us forward as we place our hope and trust in what God is providing to us. Right? Jesus' story of coming into Jerusalem is a reminder of this, this frailty of what the world can show to us. Encountering a Jesus in this passage who is widely praised and celebrated only to continue on his journey to be demonized. Jesus enters the city to shouts of Hosanna, but we see just a few days later the shouts of crucify him. And you see, this is where popularity can get the best of us. Because we can make one of two mistakes in this passage. We can forget what's going to happen later on in Holy Week. And we can look at the popularity that Jesus has and, thinks that that, and think that that is the way that we experience our faith too. That we are humbly accepted any place we go because we have Christ with us. And then we want 
this image of Jesus to be the prevailing image of Jesus. Not only do we want to be popular, but we want our Savior to be popular. And so we too come at this Come at this story from this perspective of, yes, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Jesus is popular. People love him. This is what it is going to be like. And yet, unfortunately, when we go into the world, when we truly live as God calls us to live by those kingdom values, just as Jesus lives by those kingdom values, we see sometimes those who prefer power, control, they get scared. And if they're the ones who are dictating what popularity is, then each and every time that we try and do the work that God has called us to do, we are going to be unpopular. We're not going to fit in their mold of who they want us to be. They either want us to fit within the structure of this power, this popularity, this control, or they want us to submit to it so that they can continue to be powerful. And we see over and over again in Jesus' ministry the way in which he, he overthrows this power. Right? This is why Jesus becomes such a polarizing figure. And so it's, it's no wonder that when Jesus walks into Jerusalem, And he has all of these disciples around him lining the streets, all of these thousands of people who are lining, praising him. And the religious elite are like, oh man, well, this is going to ruin us. We've got to stop it. And so what does it mean for us to give up popularity? What does it mean for us to shed this mindset as we continue to move forward in our lives, as we continue to grow and mature in our own faith? Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to be loners. I hope not. I'm a very extroverted person. I can't live life by myself. I need people around me. But I think it it gives us an idea of not being bound to the natures of those who are around us. It means we can have friends, but maybe we don't seek to define ourselves by those friends, or we don't try and turn ourselves into somebody we are not when we are around them. It means being the image of God that we have been created in. We put our faith in God in all that God offers, all that God promises. You know what the cool thing is? is at the end of the day, it actually turns and gives us healthier relationships. Because they're relationships not built on our own egos, not on our own sense of pride, not on our own sense of wanting to be X, Y, Z, best, better, anything. But to truly form relationships in the same way that we form relationships with God. And as we consider the role that this story plays in the nature of this week, yes, it is completely ironic that on Sunday Jesus is almost hailed as a hero and on Friday he's turned into a villain and yet for ourselves as we hold both of these stories within their context we see the way in nature that we are called to be the embodiment of God here on earth living in this kingdom image. 
not because we want to be the best, not because we want to be better than others, but because we're called to be. At the end of the day, we're not called to be popular. Sometimes it's a nice byproduct, I'm not going to lie. And it took me a long time to get there, to try to not be defined by who I know, by what I know. And I still struggle, I'm not going to lie. But how are we moving ourselves into that area of defining ourselves by God, defining our relationships, defining our communities, defining who we are and where we are by God's nature? Right, this understanding of popularity is a fleeting thing. And so as we think about the relationships we have, who are we called to be to live into God's image? Amen.